Hmm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Roadmap from Auto Finance News since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. It is Monday, October 4th. I'm Joey Pizzolatto, and joining me today is Amanda Harris and Whitney McDonald. This is our weekly wrap for what happened in auto finance for the week ending October 1st, 2021. As always, I want to thank Auto Finance News advertisers, Alpha, Cox Automotive, Cedar CX, Dealer Track, Defy Solutions, NCB, Lexus Nex Nexus, Verisk, Walters Kluwer, and Westlake Financial for their continued support. In general automotive news, Volvo Car Group is looking to raise around 2.9 billion in initial public uh, offering to fund its shift to fully electric cars and a direct-to-consumer sales and subscription model. Um, Geely Holdings, which um, is Volvo Car's largest shareholder, intends to remain its largest shareholder uh, when the first with the first day of trading planned for this year. Uh, the news comes on the heels of last week's announcement that Volvo would invest up to $600 million in electric vehicle maker Polestar, which gives Volvo about a 50% holding in the company. Meanwhile, on the electric battery front, Ford Motor Co. and South Korea-based SK Innovation Company plan to spend $11.4 billion to construct three battery factories and assemble an, and an assembly plant for, electric, for the electric F-Series pickup trucks in Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, it is the U.S. automaker's largest investment in its history, according to Bloomberg. Uh, the project will create two sites to produce electric vehicles and the batteries uh, that will be used in those vehicles and employ nearly 11,000 workers. Uh, Ford will foot $7 billion of that $11.4 billion, um, while uh, its battery partner, SK Innovation, will foot $4.4 billion. Uh, those plants are expected to come online in 2025 and is part of Ford's larger plan to invest $30 billion in electric vehicles, electric vehicles by that same year. The battery question, as I like to put it, is likely going to be at the heart of lenders evaluating residual values. Uh, the team and I attended Cox Automotive's EV Battery Summit last week, and aside from Ford saying that they were eyeing a closed-loop recycling system, there were a number of budding technologies that will aid in those uh, residual value calculations, especially um, as it relates to batteries. And uh, Amanda, I know you sat on that panel. Um, what were the takeaways from that? Um, the biggest thing is that the battery really is at the heart of everything to do with um, electrical vehicles as far as, you know, their evaluations. Um, really, it's the heart of everything uh, to do with EVs. And so what it comes down to is that's what, you know, lenders, manufacturers, retailers, consumers are all paying attention to, um, especially as more electric vehicles come to the used market. Um, we know it takes a little while for an EV to kind of, um, you know, get to the point of, of needing to get rid of those batteries. Um, but as more and more come on board, we know more are gonna be entering the used market. So there is this question of, well, how do you accurately determine, you know, like the residual values of an EV? How do you act, act like accurately like measure that and evaluate these property properly? Um, excuse me, because what's basically happening is they're being sold kind of at a discount when you look at that compared to like a similar um, regular combustion engine vehicle. So like their counterparts, if you look at the comparison, they're actually being sold or traded at a discount because 
a lot of this stuff is still up in the air. And again, batteries make up 30 to 40% of the cost of the car. Uh, so it really comes down to understanding, you know, the health of the battery. And that's like the charge and the lifespan that's left. Um, apparently, if, if a battery's got 80% capacity left, is actually considered end of life on the automotive side. Um, so they use about 20% or so to run the car, and then they get recycled into other industrial uses. Um, so because it's such a big deal, and that's how everything's kind of determined with evaluating uh, used EVs, um, new technologies have kind of come on board to like do diagnostic tests of the batteries, both in real time. So there's a, a company that will have their, their cars connected. We've talked about connected cars on the regular side as well. To the cloud and basically it lets consumers see you know the health of their, of their battery what the charge is where that kind of stands um, but also like if there's a problem so we know some of the batteries are actually made of multiple batteries um, if there's a problem with one of the cells then they can do a software patch um, through the cloud and then the customer doesn't even need to come to the dealership so things like that um, things also like if you bring the car into like for example a Mannheim facility because Cox Auto is using a specific uh, technology diagnostic tool, and that's through um, a different company. So that allows them just to kind of like quickly plug in the car, 10, 15 minutes, they can kind of get an idea of where that battery is in its life, what the condition of the battery is, and that gives them a way better like opportunity to measure that. And that again, is going to be how they determine the value of the car and the condition of the car when it becomes EVs. Um, right. So it be interesting. Um, more of that will probably come up too as more and more of these, especially as more affordable ones come online and more people start driving them mainstream. So do, do we have any inclination as to like how long it takes for those batteries to get to that 80, 80% um, kind of uh, end of life? Yeah, I think um, as far as like an average, I think it needs to be seen, but for an example, uh, the Nissan lease that were out about 10 years ago, there was some talk of those starting to go into the recycling side of things. Um, so those, you know, again, it's just one example. So I don't have enough to say an EV battery will last this long. Cause I think it, you know, a lot determines that there's different metals that they use, different brands use different setups. Some use multiple batteries, some use one, like it, it all depends on a lot to do with the metals inside too, because those have different shelf lives. Um, my science hat on for a second, but uh, yeah. So I think a lot of have, has to be determined, but it looks like there's they are starting to see it, um, and there is a market for recycling EV batteries. It's just pretty small right now, but the entire consensus is that will definitely change, and there needs to be infrastructure in place to deal with those batteries because they're expensive. And they still have 80% of their lifespan left when they can no longer be used in a car. So obviously you don't want to just throw away something with metals that have a ton of other industrial uses that would be wasteful and expensive. So there's multiple incentives for them to, you know, to, to do that going forward. Right. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, if you look at kind of just like normal vehicle, um, you know, retail installment contracts, like a 10 year old vehicle is, is probably a little outside of like our scope of vehicles that would be financed, right? Like, you know, nobody, you're not gonna have a lender that's gonna finance a 10 year old vehicle. But if, you know, if you're, if you were to take like a brand new EV, 
um, leased for four years. Then it goes to like the used market. You know, that's still like a five-year-old vehicle. Um, you know, just doing the math, if, you know, we're, we're well above the 60 month average on, you know, just general financing. Um, so, I mean, you know, that 10 years could pop up in, you know, a used retail installment contract that that's going to be key. And again, I think this is why I think, you know, myself and, and, you know, the team here is so adamant about the importance of batteries because, you know, we can hit that 10 year lifespan and then, you know, a lender might get stuck you know, with a, a repoed vehicle or, you know, something uh, that, they're, that they've that they collected on that then they have to figure out what to do with and how do you value that car? And, you know, if it is at that 10 years and at that 80 or close to that 80% um, shelf life or half-life, whatever you want to call it, then that's, that's a real problem that the industry is going to have to start thinking about, you know, maybe like 2045, 20, who knows? <laughs> and one thing I'm curious about and hasn't really been answered, at least in what I've heard, is if if the battery is, is done, is the car done? Or is that like a maintenance opportunity, you know, for dealerships to, to then maintenance the batteries or replace them or replace certain cells? Like there's a service side of this too that I think is kind of not as clear. Mm-hmm yet um, because EVs are still they've been I mean EVs and hybrids have been around really for a while I and mean, we're not talking about the last like two years but in relative terms you know they have they are a fairly new type of vehicle especially like on the mainstream side um, you know we're talking about like a few models here and there like years ago now we're talking about GM and, and you know Ford and, and some of the bigger ones looking at it that's going to make a big difference so I do wonder if that's what that will kind of mean, because I know people who drive cars way older, mine's way older than 10 years. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how that works. It's being monitored for sure. Right, right, definitely. Uh, well, further down the EV rabbit hole, uh, electric vehicle manufacturer Rivian unsealed its IPO filing late Friday night. Um, the OEM is listing the size of the offering at, at 100 million, but that's really just a placeholder. Um, back in August, uh, when the company first filed its um, confidential IPO, Bloomberg had reported uh, that they were seeking an $80 billion valuation. Um, so that's quite a difference, right? Um, but I think uh, it's probably closer to that uh, billion dollar evaluation, multiple billion dollar evaluation rather than 100 million. Um, but, you know, we parsed through the filing um, this morning and, and on Friday night, and there were a couple of insights we gleaned about their financing operation. Uh, as we reported back in January, uh, Rivian first inked a private label part financing partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase called Rivian Financial Services. Um, what, and so what this, in, what this um, filing is a little bit of insight into, you know, their forecast, Rivian's forecast. So... Uh, first and foremost, uh, they anticipate that lifetime revenue from insurance and financing um, to be about $8,700 uh, per unit for consumer vehicles and $7,400 uh, for commercial vehicles. Um, the loan-to-value ratios should land at around 80% um, and, quote, should assume a net interest rate in line with other automotive OEMs uh, offering captive financing. So, you know, basically that's just, you know, they're going to be on par with, with Ford, um, GM financial and, and, in their, in their, in the sense that they have flexibility to really, you know, as that 
as the captive really promote the sale of, of these, these cars. Um, also, so Rivian is a taking a digital first um, platform. So they are definitely not going, they are going to take a indirect sort of stance in the sense that they are the retailer, right? So they would be like the dealer, they pass on contracts to um, Chase Auto who then underwrites funds and services all the loans. Um, however, uh, you know, meanwhile, at the same time, uh, Rivian will retain a commission. Um, so their direct to consumer model has drawn the, like the ire of a lot of national um, and state automobile dealer trade groups, um, according to the filing, uh, because they are not going through those traditional indirect channels, right? They're not going to be, you're not going to be able to walk into to a dealership and, and check out a Rivian. Um, that's just not a thing, but you know, I do see it having some similarities to this larger shift that we are seeing other OEMs make, um, like Ford and General Motors, towards uh, like a consumer built-to-order environment. Um, Whitney, you had a story on that today, and I think you know the upshot was that captives kind of have a foot in the door uh, when consumers build their car from scratch. So why don't you tell us more about that? Yes, built to order is something that we have been following. Um, we actually did a feature story on it in September if you want to check it out. But built to order seems to be the shift that OEMs are taking rather than waiting for inventory to go back to pre-pandemic levels. We're going to see lower inventory on dealer lots, not to say that it's going away, but the shift to build to order is coming and it's staying. So as OEMs are shifting to build to order, this kind of goes into the advantage that captives have. Um, they're going to be picking the lenders that they use. So for example, Ford is already doing this with their Mach-E, their Mustang Mach-E. You can purchase the vehicle through Ford Motor, and then they have you do the financing through Ford Motor Credit. So in order for lender indirect lenders to kind of keep up with this, they are being kind of challenged to upgrade their digital capabilities and prove that, hey, we have skin in the game and we can we can offer these and do these just as seamlessly as um, the OEM's captives can. So that is what we're following. We're going to continue following the shift to build to order like we have been. But like I said, it's it's here to stay. Right, right. And I would think, um, you know, for these non-captive lenders, I, I would think, you know, um, some of these pass-through agreements that, you know, like Global Lending Services has with Nissan Motor Acceptance Company, um, similar agreements like that, I think will actually really kind of be at the heart um, for some of the smaller, more independent financiers to kind of get their foot in the door um, for some of, you know, maybe uh, some somebody that wants to build their car might not have as stellar credit as you know Ford Credit's uh, risk appetite allows, so you, they pass that on. So uh, definitely something that we're going to have to keep track of, like you said. Um, as a reminder to all of our readers, uh, the Auto Finance Summit is just around the corner. Uh, we are back in Las Vegas at the Win, October 27th through the 29th. Um, to learn more about the 2020 event, or if you would like to register, if you haven't, visit autofinancesummit.com. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone in Las Vegas. Um, we want to hear from you, as always. Rate the roadmap on whichever platform you use to listen and uh, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you on autofinancenews.net and here next time.